We want to welcome uh, Brother Mike Patterson. Probably about over 15 years ago, when I was just a teenager, our church youth group, uh, led by Brother Ron and Miss Sandy Hass, I believe Pastor Flam was on the trip as well at that time. We t we took a missions trip down to a little place called Talapa, Mexico. And I would encourage everyone in the in the building tonight, if you don't know where Talapa, Mexico is, is to take a moment to look it up on the map. Talapa, Mexico is very rural. And uh, we, would, we went and visited one of the, and ministered there at one of the children's homes that Brother Patterson will come and tell us about in just a minute. And uh, it was a very eye-opening experience, needless to say. And uh, it was my first experience as a young kid of ever leaving America, of ever realizing how much God has provided and blessed us here, and being able to see uh, and meet other believers somewhere else other than in Birmingham, Alabama, just a, just a moment in my life to where the Lord really did a work. And uh, you don't come back from trips like that the same. Uh, you, you're never the same. But uh, it was always very interesting how the Lord worked. And uh, we had a, a large group, how the Lord worked in our lives on that trip. And we had the privilege of, that was back when Brother McCoy, I believe it was Lyle McCoy. Was it, yes, am I Lyle correct McCoy. on that? Yeah. But the Lyle McCoy was still alive. And we had the opportunity to meet him and to, and to be influenced by his life. And I won't keep going on and on, but we've had the opportunity as a church and a youth group to go down to, to where he'll be talking about tonight. And as a, it's a place that's made a difference in my life, and uh, we're glad to have you here, Brother Patterson. And if you'll come at this time, and we'll hand it over to you. Is my speaker turned on? Yeah, there it is. My microphone turned on. It is a joy to be here, and we thank the Lord for your church. I remember so well when your former pastor, uh, Brother Legrand, came uh, probably... I'm going to guess 30 years ago, and uh, we met him, and we were so impressed and encouraged by their visit. It was during one of our January conferences, and then uh, through him, we got to meet Brother Lamb, his son-in-law, and now third generation, his, uh, his grandson, and to see what God is doing. God has blessed our work, but we could have never had a ministry had it not been for churches just like yours. And your church, I don't know exactly how long you've been supporting us. I'm going to guess 25 years. Uh, but for all those years, all the fruit uh, is part of your fruit. And uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. We direct the two children's homes that he mentioned. We also have another children's home in Mexico City for street kids. Right now in Tlapa, we have uh, 132 children. 18 workers, about uh, 150 that uh, we have to wake up every morning and pray about how we're going to feed them three meals that day. And uh, God loves them even more than we do, and he's been so faithful in meeting those needs and using churches like yours uh, to have a part. My father-in-law, Dr. Ralph McCoy, had a vision of reaching the mountainous regions of, the regions of Guerrero, as was mentioned by brotherly grand, of, of reaching them, and they were trying to reach adult men, and it just wasn't working because they were steeped in tradition. They were worshiping stones, the, the rain god Tlaloc, and uh, they had multiple wives and could never be qualified for leaderships. Their idea of recreation was getting drunk uh, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they come from areas where there are no roads, no schools, no running water, no anything. 
And for now, these last 46 years, the children's homes have been in, 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 uh, in, in business, and uh, the Lord has just blessed mightily. In fact, we were there uh, for the month of September, and we had our, each year we, we have a reunion. We started this, oh, I don't know, four or five years ago. We have a reunion of the graduates of the homes, and they come in from all over the mountains, and we had uh, 550 or 600 of them, and they, uh, we preached to them. They, we had services all day long, had a big meal, and they gave testimonies. And the testimonies were incredible. I remember one lady stood up. She was a grandmother. She said, I was the first, in the first group of 12 that came here from Tipiak all those many years ago. And she said, people always ask me. She's the director of several regional schools that are under her tutelage. She said, people always ask me, why is it that a little village like Tipiak has so many professionals, doctors, lawyers, school teachers, school directors, the mayor of the village? Why is it that it has so many professionals? And she said, I'll tell you why. It's because Brother McCoy came and started providing not only an education, but the gospel to these people. Now there are roads that are going up to there. In fact, you'll get a video in the next few days about the dedication of a church building in Tipiak. They were part of the uh, <clears throat> part of the hurricane damages. In fact, the whole side of the mountain slid off, including the church building and the pastor's home. And uh, the Lord moved on my heart to try to help them, and we were able to dedicate the building just a few weeks ago. And uh, it was wonderful to see how God provided every dime when it was finished. It was paid for, and uh, God has mightily, mightily blessed. There were a number of people saved, people surrendered for full-time service. I don't know exactly how many there were in that service. In uh, two weeks, though, we saw 61 people receiving Christ and uh, I think 10 surrendering for full-time service. And so we thank God for your investment in all of this. And we couldn't have done it without people just like you who get up every morning and go to work, come on Sunday and give your tithes and offerings, make your, uh, make your commitments to missions and missionaries. And in all these years that your church has been supporting us, there's never been a month that your support check has not come. I'm humbled to say that and very thankful. I have written a book... Uh, it's an anthology of short stories. I was the president of the mission for 18 years. Our son is now the president of the mission. And uh, this is written, these, these short stories were written literally all over the world. And uh, we'd like to ha- for you to have a copy. We're dedicating the uh, proceeds and profits from this, even the uh, royalties from what's sold on Amazon and all that kind of thing. We're dedicating all of that for the children's home. I decided that we've lived by faith all of these years. Whatever comes from this, we'll use to help take care of the kids. We have a first edition. We only printed a 1,000 of the first edition, collector's edition, and we have a few of them back there. Uh, we sell these. They sell these in the bookstores for $29.95. We have them for $25, and I'll be glad to sign a copy for you if you want it. And all of the funds from that will go into the children's home. We also have the same book in, uh, in a paperback form for $15 if you want one of those. Uh, okay.
I'm not much of a book salesman, but I think you will enjoy it. I've been humbled and shocked to receive messages literally from all over the world from people that are reading it. We got a letter just recently from a lady in uh, Nepal. And she and her husband have just gone through all of this mess that they had with the earthquake. And somehow or another, she got a hold of a copy of it just as all of that was happening. In fact, she got it in the Kindle edition. And she wrote, she said, I've never had anything that met a need in my life like your book did. In all those chapters when you talked about answers to prayer and things that God did that nobody else could do, she said, that's where we are right now. And I needed that encouragement. And there are many things in there. They're funny stories. There's some stupid stories of things that I did, like uh, popping the head off of what I thought was a non-poisonous green snake. I didn't realize that, uh, well, I thought I knew all the poisonous snakes in the Americas. Alas, I was mistaken. This one happened to be a four de lis. And uh, they call it a seven-step in Mexico. If you walk seven steps after you've been bitten, they claim it will... Uh, uh, it, it what you'll fall over dead. Well, I don't know if all of that's true, but it is considered one of, if not the most venomous snake in the world. And I grabbed one by the tail, going under a tree on a horse, going to preach in a village, and popped his head off. Don't highly recommend that. Uh, I don't think you probably ought to do that. But there are stories like that in there, and I think you'll enjoy it. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of James. James chapter number four. In our ministry as people, I went to the homes and we were there for several weeks in September. And there was one face that I didn't see. Uh, there was a little boy that came to us. He was sleeping on a bench in the town plaza. His mother was a harlot. His father, he didn't know who his father was. In fact, she didn't know who his father was. And she, he, he was there with his mother and her current man of the whatever at that time. And she ran off and left him with the guy. And the guy didn't want to have a little three or four-year-old boy to take care of. And so he just left him on the town square and he left town. They came to us and said, could you keep him for a couple of weeks? We wound up raising him. He came. He learned to speak Spanish. He spoke dialect. He learned to speak Spanish. He had never learned to read and write. He had to learn to read and write. And uh, when he first got there, he had to learn Spanish. And he became a wonderful student. In fact, uh, excelled and uh, was tutoring the other boys by the time he finished up his high school education. And today... He's in San Luis Potosi at the Bible Baptist uh, or, or Baptist Bible, whatever it is, seminary there or Bible college, and he surrendered his life to be a missionary. And that's what this is all about. In James chapter 4, I want you to read with me verses 13 through 17. If you will, just uh, read it out loud right where you are, and I'll read with you, and we'll read this together. James four thirteen through 17. 
Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I want to ask you the question that James asked when he said, What is your life? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me tonight to preach. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Anoint me with heavenly oil. Do a work so great here tonight, so mighty and marvelous and wonderful, that only our Lord Jesus Christ could be praised because of it. Lord, meet with us. Do something wonderful in our midst, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 17th of August, 1987, I I had a strange phone call. One of the doctors in our church is a famed uh, eye, ear, nose, and throat specialist. I worked for years to be able to pronounce what that was in Spanish. It's an otorino-laringologo. If you can pronounce that, you speak pretty good Spanish. And he called and he said, uh, Chavo Pedrosa's got to have his tonsils and his adenoids taken out. It's just a routine surgery. But he said Lupita is a little worried about him and said that the doctor said he had a heart murmur and I can't find anything that would cause any problem. But would you mind coming and praying while I operate? And I said, sure, I'll be glad to. I went to that night, and they had the surgery late in the evening. It was during the rainy season. We had an incredible rainstorm going on. The lights were going on and off. Of course, they had special generators for the, for the uh, operating room. But <clears throat> as they worked, <clears throat> they put me and the little boy's father in a room right next to the operating room so that we could see. It was it, actually the room is designed for student doctors to be able to see the old pros as they do their surgeries and maybe learn something. Well, there were no doctors in there, just me and Eduardo Pedrosa, and uh, we watched, we prayed. Everything was going fine. They'd taken out his tonsils. They'd taken out his adenoids. They were putting in the last few stitches. And then all of a sudden, his heart stopped. This was an unusual little boy. At age eight, he received Christ as his Savior. My wife led him to Christ. His daddy was the owner of three different corporations. His maternal grandfather was a Supreme Court justice at that time in Mexico. His uncle was the governor of the state of Chiapas, and another uncle ran the... uh, uh, Mexican embassy in Houston, Texas. He was a little boy born not with a silver spoon in his mouth, but a gold one. His college education when he was 10 years old was already paid for. But he was saved at eight, and at nine he surrendered to be a missionary. And he was an unusual nine-year-old little boy and a very precocious one, smart as a whip. 
And from his ninth birthday to his tenth birthday, he memorized a new verse of Scripture every day, 365 verses. And as a part of his tenth birthday celebration just a few days before his surgery, he quoted all 365 verses without missing one word or one text. I know very few preachers that, that could do that today. But this was a 10-year-old, and his little heart stopped. I watched Dr. Nino as he started to punch him in the, in the solar plexus. And then they came out with the paddles, and they got his heart started again, and he looked up and gave us a high sign. And then it stopped the second time, and they went through all of that again, and we prayed, and we watched, and a second time his heart was started, started again. And then a third time his heart stopped, and we didn't hear the whisper of angel wings, and we didn't see anything strange happen, but little Salvador Pedrosa died on that operating table. I had to make one of the longest walks I've ever made in my life, from that room to the place where his mother was waiting to tell her that her little 10-year-old boy had just died. And it was not easy. I began grieving. In his funeral, there were scores saved, including the anesthesiologist that overdosed him. And his life began to affect so many people. I went to a conference uh, the Mexican version of the Sword of the Lord conference, an Espada conference in uh, Monterey, Mexico, and preached. And I was preaching on missions. And I'd been battling a battle in the inner man. You know, Lord, why would you let such a precious little boy die when, you know, they're dopeheads and they're murderers and they're wicked people? And I didn't have an answer, but God did. Basically, I came to the place where I just said, Lord, I'll just have to trust you with this one. I went there that night and I preached. And I preached on missions. And I told about a little boy, just like I've told you, that loved God and wanted to be a missionary. I gave the invitation. And 81 young men and young women came forward out of that Bible college and surrendered their lives to be missionaries. And they're now serving all over the world. I began telling that story in every mission conference I preached. We left off counting when more than 4,000 had given their lives to be missionaries. But it all starts with one. That's what happened with little Salvador Pedrosa. Today he's rejoicing in heaven. 1987 until now, he's been there with the Lord. When I went into the room with his mother. She was, of course, broken, and she began weeping as any mother would. And a nurse, in a few minutes, came in with a little tray and on it a hypodermic syringe with medication in it. And uh, she just went over to and started prepping her arm to give her a shot. She said, what is that? She said, it's a calmante. It's a sedative. It's something to help you through this ordeal. She said, I don't need that. And the nurse said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were the one that just lost your little boy. She said, I am. She said, but what you don't understand is that my little boy just got to heaven 
And he just crawled up into the lap of his Lord Jesus. And he got a hug welcoming him to heaven. The nurse started crying then. She said, ma'am, how can you know that? And she pulled out her little slim line, New Testament, and led the nurse to Christ moments after losing her son. What is your life? According to verse number 13, for many life is buying and selling and loss and gain and moving and homes and clothing and food and leisure and work and vacations. But what is your life? According to verse number 14, life is an uncertainty. It's a vapor. It's a puff of vapor coming out of your mouth on a cold morning as you'll have just in a few weeks. What is your life? In verse number 15, he said, Lord willing. He said, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we live and do this or that. And I love that verse. Reminds me of Hubensio. Hubensio and Teposlan sold tomatoes. Loaded up his cart and his donkey and headed into Cuernavaca to sell his tomatoes. And some thieves stopped him. And while he was leaving, the preacher said to him, said, Hubensio, where are you going? So I'm going to Cuernavaca to sell my tomatoes. He said, no, you ought to say, Lord willing, I'm going to Cuernavaca to sell my tomatoes. Well, he said, well, I'm going. I've already got them loaded up. Somehow it didn't click for him. About halfway there, they came out and demanded his money. He didn't have any. He hadn't sold his tomatoes yet. So they turned his cart over and spilled his tomatoes out and knocked out a tooth and beat him up and left him. Got up, dusted himself up, and uh, loaded up his cart again with what he what he what he what hadn't been spoiled, and went back to Tipple's line. And the next day, he was all bruised and battered, but it was time to go sell tomatoes again. And so he loaded up his cart and was headed back into Cuernavaca. Somebody asked him, "said What are you doing?" He said, hey, "You didn't you get beat up? Yeah, I got beat up yesterday." He said, "But what what are you doing today?" He said, I'm going into Cuernavaca to sell tomatoes, Lord willing. (laughs) Sometimes you have to learn those things the hard way, don't you? You and I have too. He tells us in verse 16 that for a lot of people, it's boasting and rejoicing in your boasting and all such rejoicing is evil. He talks to us about the things that we know that we ought to do and we don't do and how that it's sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, a lot of us maybe don't go out and get drunk, and maybe we don't slip around and have another woman, or maybe we're not watching pornography and we're not doing this or that, but we know we need to be witnessing. We've got our mouths closed, and for him that, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We're sinners. All of us are. What is your life? First Chronicles 29 calls it a shadow, verse 15. Job in chapter 20 and verse number 8 calls it a dream. In chapter 7 and verse 9, he calls it a cloud. And then he again calls it a flower that's been cut. James here calls it a mist. The psalmist calls it sleep, Psalm 90 and verse number 5. It's a tale that's told. It's a pilgrimage there in Genesis, and Peter tells us it's like the grass that's cut and it's gone. 
But what is your life? And I submit to you that life offers some very unique opportunities. I'm so glad you came to Tlapa, and I'm so glad it had an impact on your life. Down through the years, we've had, I guess I could probably say without exaggerating too much, scores of youth groups come down. I was, we had one youth group come down, and while they were there, I decided I didn't ever want to have another youth group. They weren't like your group. This group did everything you could do wrong. We took them to a national's house, and this lady had prepared rice pudding, which I happened to love, and was feeding it to all of her, was trying to feed it to all of them. And the youth director looked down at that stuff, and he didn't know what it was, and he pushed it back. He said, I can't eat that stuff. The 18 young people that were with him all pushed the rice pudding back and said, well, we can't either if he can't. They left it. He came back, and I, I'm, I'm not intimidated by youth directors. We got back home that night, and I had a little devotional, and I chewed that youth director out after I got him alone. I said, you know, you don't ever do things like that. I thought I'd never see him again. We were at the airport in Atlanta going somewhere, and he came up with four other men with him. He said, do you remember me? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> never thought I'd ever see him again. He said, you did me one of the biggest favors you've ever done in my life, that I've ever had done to me when you rebuked me. He said, do you know where I'm going? I said, I have no earthly idea. He said, I'm going to Africa as a missionary, and these guys are going to Africa with me to help me get set up. My old heart just melted, and I thought, Lord, I'm so sorry that I was so bitter about that young man while he was there. Well, what is your life? Life is a little parenthesis in eternity when you have some unique opportunities. And I want to talk to you about three of them tonight. Life is that one time you have the opportunity to be saved. You know, the thread of life is pretty thin. I had uh, four heart attacks last year in one year. I thought I was going to get to see Jesus, but he wasn't through with me yet. But salvation is incredibly important. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You know, by the way, as we were walking back up to that room, Lalo Pedrosa looked at me and he said, You know, Brother Mike, the one thing that's important about little Chava, that's his, that was his nickname for, for Salvador, the one thing that's important about him is not his inheritance or what we could have given him or his grandparents could have given him or anybody else could have given him. The one inheritance that really matters is that he was saved. didn't really matter that he was a blue, bud, blue blood and it didn't really matter that his grandpa was a Supreme Court justice and his uncles were brilliant lawyers and his father was a wealthy man. What was important was that he knew Christ as his Savior. And by the way, that's the one thing that's important about your life. When you're laying in a hospital bed and you're looking up because that's the only way you can look, the only, really thing, the only thing that's really important to you is, do you know Christ? And will you get to meet him when you leave here? Thank God for salvation. And by the way, if you've never been saved, I want to encourage you, Tonight, to come to know Jesus. 
Come in repentance. You say, preacher, I've been in church all my life. I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, and, and you can go the whole list and the litany. And, you know, if I come forward and get saved, people are going to think that's the awfulest thing in the world because they're going to think I'm a hypocrite. No, they're not. They're going to be thrilled to death that you don't have to go to hell for eternity. The one opportunity for salvation is your life. He said, I stand at the door and knock. He said, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Life is the one opportunity to suffer. I've got a new friend sitting here right across from my wife. And she has somehow or another lost her eyesight. I don't know her story. But I've kind of fallen in love with her. She seems to love the Lord, and, and I just like people. And you know what, sister? I got some good news for you. The next face you're going to see is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to take you up in his arms. And you're going to have 20-20 vision. And you're going to see the splendors of heaven. Because he loved you when you weren't too lovely. And he loved me when I wasn't too lovely either. And he saw fit to save us. Thank God for salvation. What is life? It's your one opportunity to suffer. Acts 5 verse 41. So they departed rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. Now I understand a little bit about that. One of the stories in the book is about being in... in uh, San Juan Tlacotengo, Mexico. Someone had gone into the Catholic Church. It was a political thing, and they had destroyed the, the uh, images there. And they blamed it on the national pastor. They were trying to get rid of him. They were going to bump him off. Well, I happened to show up to see him the day after it happened. It wasn't real good timing on my part. But the Lord was right on time. He had everything worked out. I went in to visit him. He said, Preacher, he said, I'm so glad you're here. You need to pray for me, and then you need to get out of here. This is a dangerous place. He told me what had happened. Well, I've done research in our family, and going back as far as 200 years, as far as I can tell, there's never been a hero in our family, and I wasn't about to break tradition. So I said, let's get out of Dodge. So we had a quick prayer, and we headed down to my old pickup truck, but before we got there, we had an angry mob, four, five, six hundred people surround us. They started beating us. They uh, beat the pastor down to the ground. I watched as they kicked him and they beat him. I watched a woman take a rock about as big as his head and slammed it down on, on him. He managed to dodge just a little bit instead of hitting him on top of the head, which would have probably killed him. It hit him in his chin and crushed his chin. They broke seven or eight ribs kicking him. And uh, at that time, I was a big and very strong man. I'm still a big man. <laughs> Not very strong like I was at that time. And they started hitting us. I had one little guy hit me in the jaw. I broke my jaw. In fact, I remember every time I take a bite, my jaw pops, and it will for the rest of my life. He drew back to hit me the second time, and where it came from, I don't know. I had just read a book about missionary Stanley Dale and how that 
as they were shooting him to death, uh, killing him with arrows, he would pull it out and break the arrows, which is an international peace symbol, and he'd say, I love you. Well, I guess it was because of that. I, I didn't have it planned to tell a man that I loved him, and as he drew back to me the second time, I looked at him and I said, I love you, in Spanish, yo te amo. And the guy looked at me, and instead of hitting me, he ran like a rabbit. Well, one of the ladies at the church went down the mountain and called my wife. My wife made several phone calls, and some people in our church moved heaven and earth. And the <clears throat> governor of the state happened to be in that little town, the town below there, giving a speech, and he sent his bodyguards, there were 30 of them up, to rescue us. It took them an hour. We were held captive six hours. It took them an hour to uh, talk them into letting us go. And, you know, it was, an, it was an amazing thing. After being beat, beaten, I was kicked where that from my waist down, my legs and my wife is witness to this, were completely black and blue. I didn't have a place on them anywhere that wasn't bruised. And uh, I remember thinking about halfway through that, I thought, you know, this is an incredible honor. I thought we were going to die. That was their plans. They were going to kill us. But God had other plans. But this life is the one opportunity we have to suffer. Galatians 3, 4, have you suffered in vain? Some of you are going through some of the worst things of your life right now, and maybe nobody know, even knows it other than God, but you'll never suffer in vain. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. <laughs> then he says what we don't particularly care for. He says in the fellowship of his sufferings. You think about what he suffered. You know, in all of these 40 eight or nine years preaching the gospel, I've only been beaten one time. And it only lasted for a few minutes. I've only been held captive one time. Our Lord carried the sins of the whole world on him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he shall deny us. Second Timothy 2.12 he suffered in body, he suffered in soul, he suffered in spirit, every kind of suffering. He cried out from the cross, my God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'll tell you why, it was because of your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. He had every kind of wound known to man. He said, Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. I've had cerebral malaria. I've had typhoid three times. I've had cancer. I've been a diabetic for 30 years. I've had six heart attacks. You know, that's nothing compared to the suffering my Lord had. Nothing whatsoever. Malaria. <laughs> malaria was a unique thing. I was in Malabo. West Africa, went there to intervene with the governmental authorities, and I thought, this is the one time I'll ever be here, so I, everybody I talked to, I witnessed to. I led the Minister of Tourism to the Lord, the Minister of Finances to the Lord, the people, the shakers, the movers, I got to see everybody except for the king, 
and uh, they interceded on behalf of two missionary families from Mexico going to this one Spanish-speaking country in Africa. And uh, I heard the guy over the phone calling the ambassador in, in Madrid, Spain. And he called him everything but a white man. He was rough on him. I mean, really, really rough. He said, those two missionaries will be in your office in 15 minutes. Actually, they weren't there till the next day, but they'll be there in 15 minutes, and I want you to have their paperwork all ready and give them their religious visas. The only time a religious visa had ever been granted to this country, and they were given to these two missionaries. I was president of the mission at that time. We were all shocked. We were all praising God. And then I got sick. I'd been bitten by a mosquito, and I had cerebral malaria. Cerebral malaria goes into your red blood cells, goes into your brain, and the parasite literally begins to eat your brain. It's the most horrible headaches you can imagine. Probably saved my life because it got there, and there really wasn't enough there to maintain life. <laughs> no, my wife and a lot of other people were praying that I'd come through it, and I did. Uh, you're looking at one of the 4% that lived through cerebral malaria. But it's our one opportunity to suffer. Make sure when you suffer, you're holding his hand because we're going to all suffer at one time or another. And your life is your one opportunity to serve. And I'm amazed at people that God is calling to serve him. And the reason I know this is because I was one of them. When God began to call me to serve him, <clears throat> that wasn't in my plan book. <clears throat> I wanted to be a wealthy man. I wanted to help other, fellow, other people get to the mission field, but I didn't want to go. Well, God knew I, I wasn't smart enough to be a wealthy man. That wasn't his plan for me. And he called me to be a missionary. And I finally surrendered because I didn't have any choice. And I wish I could tell you that I'd been joyful in it right from the beginning, but I wasn't. But the very thing that I so feared has become the great joy of my life and still is today. I have, I have people telling me, you know, preacher, you've been through a lot. Isn't it time for you to rest? Well, I'm here today and I'll be in Atlanta Sunday morning and I'll be in Macon Sunday night, and I'll be somewhere else Wednesday night and somewhere else the next Sunday, and then that, that'll go on until about mid-December, and I'll be back, and then we'll have our conference. This life is the one opportunity to serve. Well, preacher, why would you do that? Why would you burn the candle at both ends? Because we've got a world out there that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm just dumb enough to hope that God will raise up some people that will take my place when I'm gone. It's your one opportunity to serve. How can I best serve the Lord? By serving others. I was, I was delighted when we got out of the car and I looked up and I saw Brother Johnson. And I took a double take. His twin brother is the music director in our home church in Texas. And I looked up and I thought, Andrew, what are you doing here? I mean, he's got his little spiffy bow ties and everything just like this Johnson. 
Uh, although I will say, your brothers put on a little weight. They're twin brothers. Uh, if it hadn't been for that, I, 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 wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have known what. But the first thing he did was, we were trying to carry in books. He grabbed a box and carried it in. That's how you serve the Lord. You carry books when the books need to be carried. You clean bathrooms when bathrooms need to be cleaned. You give out tracts everywhere you go. You tell people about Jesus. By love, serve one another, Galatians 5.13. Acts 20 and verse 19, serving the Lord with humility of mind and with many tears. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Until I surrendered to preach, I couldn't cry. I thought it was beneath the big dignity of a Texan to cry, and I couldn't cry. My grandmother died, and I couldn't cry. That was a mistake. Now, I see a world that's lost and without hope and going down the tube, and I see our country and the decisions that are being made, and I see the world and all that's happening, and my eyes run with tears, and my prayers are salted with tears, and and my witness is salted with tears. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So what is your life? It's the one opportunity to be saved. It's the one opportunity to suffer. It's the one opportunity to serve. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I never preach without giving an invitation. I never preach without the goal of bringing people to the line and drawing them in the sand and letting them make a decision whether they're going to obey the Lord or not obey the Lord. And and we're at that line in the sand tonight. My question to you is, I know most of you are already saved, but my question to you is, has God spoken to your heart tonight? Has he spoken to your heart tonight? Has he revealed some area of your life that needs to be worked on? If he has, and you'll let me pray for you, I'll pray for you right now. Would you lift your hand? I'd like to pray for you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You know, about half of the problem is recognizing we have one. Anybody else say, pray for me. God's shown me an area of my life that I need to work on, that I need to let him work on, I guess would be a better way of putting it. Pray for me. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. How many here would say tonight, I want to have, I'm I'm having to do some suffering, and I want to have the right attitude in my suffering. I want to honor the Lord through everything he sends my way. And would you pray for me that I can honor him in my suffering? Would you lift your hand right now? God bless you. God bless you and you and you and you. God bless you. Now, I'm going to ask a question, the question of all questions. And I'll ask one more question, and I'll be through. If there's someone here tonight that say, Preacher, would you pray for me? If I died tonight, I'm not real, real sure that I'd go to heaven. I'm not certain that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I've, I've got some doubts about my own salvation. But I do have enough concern about my salvation that I'll let you pray for me. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you? I'd like to do that if we have one. I know this is Wednesday night prayer meeting, and the majority of you, if not all of you, are already saved. But if there's somebody that needs to be included in that prayer, I'll pray for you. Is there one? All right, one last question. I told the story of Salvador Pedrosa. 
Is there anybody here that would say, Preacher, I believe I need to take his place too. I believe God's calling me to serve him. I don't know exactly what he wants me to do, but I'm willing to do whatever he wants me to do. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Pray for me. I'd like to give my life to be used of God. Is there one? Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful group and this precious church. I pray that you'd bless now as we give the invitation that Christians would come and fill these old-fashioned altars just getting alone with God and talking to God. Some here need to intercede for their lost loved ones. Some here need to talk about some things with you that need to be straightened out. And God, you can help them with them. Would you move in this invitation? In Jesus' name.